All people are when you manifestations God's word, of that was built by slaves. Reality. And I watch my daughters. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. This. In 2017, I hosted a number of private retreats in my back house in Los Angeles, which I had dubbed the Urban Monastery. People would send in their applications to come have a retreat with me and would fly in from different places and, you know, just hang out with me. They'd come to my back house. We'd meditate together in the mornings and the evenings. Sometimes I'd take them to a sensory deprivation float or a meditation garden or something. We'd hang out around my fire pit. We'd talk about God and life and oneness. There were books for them back there to read and a hammock for them to sway in under that famous Southern California sunshine. Everybody that came was completely lovely. I mean, everybody honored the space, my family, my time. They were respectful house guests and all of them signed this little guest book I had back there saying all sorts of encouraging and grateful things about how much they had gotten out of the retreat. And then came Mason. All right, Mason, how's it going? It's going fantastic. Do you remember the email you sent me? I do. So you sent me an email. Was this last year, 2017? Yeah, this is 2017. I think I sent you the email probably like April or May of 2017. Because you posted something on the internet somewhere that said like, Hey, I'm super special. If you come pay me a bunch of money, <laughs> you can hang out at my house and I'll make you special too. <laughs> uh, I was like, God damn it. I sent you an email that said, Hey, um, I don't need to learn anything from you because I'm enlightened. But I want to come hang out with you, and I'll pay you a ridiculous amount of money to do that. So that's what happened. I mean, that isn't exactly how it happened. An excerpt from Mason's email. Hello, my name is Mason, and I am more than interested in the personal retreat you wrote about on your blog. Your music has profoundly impacted my spiritual progression. I would love to be involved in your thoughts, to harmonize with your light, to learn from you. You said to learn from you, Mason. Uh, we sat down together for the first time, and I just looked at you directly and asked, are you enlightened? That was a straight question. Uh, what did I say? And then I just like stayed silent. I wouldn't say anything. You, I think you were kind of uncomfortable by like the direct address of the question. I think your first assumption was that I was just some asshole who was like just like trying to like make a meme out of the whole thing. So like you were really hesitant to like give me a straight answer. And so I was just like poking at you, <laughs> getting you to like give me an answer. That part was mostly true. I wouldn't say I was uncomfortable as much as I was confused. Who was this kid? Was he really enlightened? Was he screwing with me? Perhaps a mental illness? I recently drove eight hours to the middle of nowhere where Mason lives and asked his professor and spiritual teacher and mentor of sorts, Lloyd Fluger. Hi, I'm Lloyd Fluger. That very question. I've met Mason here, and I've heard some stories about you. You sound like a they're fascinating all, They're all man. false. <laughs> <laughs> he he so, confabulates quite a bit to boost up his ego. 
So, so is Mason? Yes, is Mason just full of shit, or do you think this guy's a realized being? What, like he says, yes. Oh, I'm not in a position to judge um, realization, but I know an asshole when I see one. Mason may be an asshole, but he's a brilliant asshole. Both in his writing and his speech, I could tell that it wasn't just that he was smart. He had some sort of deep knowledge and experience of ultimate reality. There's no self. Like, that's the first rule. The ego's normal operation is pretty hysterically pointless. Like, basically everything it does is trying to, like, prove that it exists. Uh, like, that it is the subject of experience. That's what ego wants so badly. It's an aspect of reality that wants to prove that it is, like, the subject of what's going on. But it's, like, not because the subject is consciousness itself or God or this. Um, and so when you become like suddenly aware that the ego is not the subject, then you can see the ego as it is and everything that it does is just hilarious. Okay. There was a lot in all of that. And if you didn't get all of it, don't worry, we'll come back to it. But first I'd like to go back to why I was confused at Mason's inquisition of whether I was enlightened or not. It was almost like when someone asks someone else if they believe in God, without defining the terms. Which God? The guy in the sky with the beard and the toga? The all-pervading sense of love that one feels when she goes to the mountains or hugs her child? Krishna? Allah? Christ? What the hell are you talking about? And while a word like enlightenment is certainly not as hotly contested as a word like God in the cultural wars of our society, it still does have lots of interpretations. Some would say that enlightenment is about acquiring some sort of head knowledge. Others would argue and say that it's, no, it's not about head knowledge, it's about embodiment. Some would think it's about seeing through the myths of religion and superstition and instead embracing the cold hard truth of scientific materialism others think enlightenment is about seeing through the myth of separateness and seeing the non-dual oneness of everything some think that enlightenment is a journey not a destination others think that there are beings like christ or the buddha or maharaji who were fully enlightened fully realized beings with no more clearing or growth left to do. So, was I enlightened? I had no idea how to answer Mason's question, because I had no idea what the question meant. Also, the idea of going around and just telling people I am enlightened seemed to be a little counterproductive to me, sort of like going around and telling people how humble I am. But Mason seemed smart enough to realize that, and when he asked me, he had... A twinkle in his eye. So I knew there was some underlying play to the question. And I probed a little bit. If he had truly seen through the illusion of a separate self or subject like he had claimed to, who was it that was enlightened? Why would a body go through the trouble of speaking the words, I am enlightened, if it saw through the illusion of self? No aspect of, of reality can be the subject of reality because the subject of reality is a pure and open consciousness. 
So any aspect of reality which supposes itself to be fully aware is lying. Um, so in a sense, I am not enlightened, and no one is enlightened, because if you're speaking of bodies and people and egos, then those things don't get to be enlightened. But the reality is that I am not any of those things. I, I am not my body nor my mind. I am, like, I am consciousness itself, just as everyone is, obviously. What Mason just said may be obvious to Mason, but of course, it is not for most of us. Here's why. Because not thinking like that, that being a lack of separation between me and the universe, has helped us to survive. Imagine two hominids living on the plains of Africa a million years ago. And these two hominids come across a ferocious predator. The first does not have an assumption of separateness between himself and the predator that seeks to eat him. For this guy, there is no felt bias or preference for one organism over another. He simply is movement within the one ocean of pure consciousness. The other hominid, on the other hand, feels quite differently about the matter. For this one, the predator feels like a real threat that is fundamentally separate from his own life and consciousness. So which one of these hominids do you think will be more likely to survive and create offspring to pass down his genetics, instincts, and stories to? The first one who felt no need to fight or flee because all he sees is himself? Or the one who says, ah, oh, hell no, and picks up a spear? Regardless of their validity to how reality is at its core, the stories of separateness that we believe, that there's a real me who is fundamentally separate from a real you, or all of these other real its, have been really useful and helpful stories for we humans. With these stories, we have built empires. We've invented iPhones and Advil and sent people to the moon. And do you think we would have done any of that if we didn't have some sort of stories and sense of separateness at our core? If I didn't feel any separateness from my family, why would I need to text them? If I didn't have some sense of separation or distance between me and the moon, why would I spend billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of human hours of work to go there? Do you see what I mean? Separateness is key to human survival. And not only that, but to what we've built. It allows us to create incredible complexity with our stories, like philosophy and mathematics and a world clock and calendars and music and YouTube. This doesn't mean, of course, that just because we have this sense of separateness, that just because we have these stories and useful stories of separateness, that the truth is that we fundamentally actually are separate from the rest of the universe. I mean... You don't have to think very hard to, to see that. Just imagine your body being transplanted to some other point in the universe for a moment. Think about 
your body just all of a sudden being in outer space or in the heart of a distant star or black hole. And you can quickly be reminded that your body is not a separate entity from the earth that can exist apart from it. Your body is a part of the earth itself and only lives moment to moment because of its connection to the earth. And likewise, the earth only exists as it does because of countless other variables about the universe like gravity and magnetic fields and gravitational waves and dark energy and dark matter and who knows what else. Contemporary physics and ancient mysticism would agree it's all one. But most of us don't experience reality that way because these stories, the illusion of separateness that helped us to survive, but believing these illusions of separateness also creates a tremendous amount of suffering for both ourselves and others. Because of this illusion of separateness, we as a species have plundered and pillaged this planet to the point where life as we know it may not be sustainable for very much longer. We have done the same with human bodies, killing, raping, torturing, enslaving, imprisoning, shaming, and despising to whatever aims our egos wish. We would not do any of these things if we did not believe ourselves to be real and separate somebodies, separate from the rest of our human family. At least not nearly as often. It is rare that one burns his own hand or imprisons himself in a cage intentionally and consciously. Because of our illusion of separateness, we fear death. We create hierarchies of humanity. Racism, sexism, ableism, bigotry, and hatred of every conceivable kind. And even when the situations that we live in are ideal, we're still often miserable because there is still the fear that it could all disappear or the disappointment that the happiness didn't last or that our friends just love us for our money or whatever it is. Just look at the lives of the rich and famous to see it. The Buddha saw this. He recognized that the essence of human existence is suffering and that the cause of this suffering is our clinging to our desires for the world to be other than it is. We want that, not this. And so we suffer. In the great Buddhist traditions, enlightenment is seen as the abiding and embodied freedom from these cycles of clinging and suffering. In enlightenment, there is just the one thing, the all, this. The mystics talk about ultimate reality being non-dual. In other words, not two. There's not a real self or subject or observer that is separate from the rest of it. Your experience of consciousness is simply a wave within a wave within a wave of the one great ocean. That's what Mason was talking about earlier. There's no self. Like, that's the first rule. The ego's normal operation is pretty hysterically pointless. Like, basically everything it does is trying to, like, prove that it exists. Uh, like, that it is the subject of experience. That's what ego wants so badly. It's an aspect of reality that wants to prove that it is, like, the subject of what's going on. But it's, like, not because the subject is consciousness itself or God or this. Uh, and so when you become 
like suddenly aware that the ego is not the subject, then you can see the ego as it is and everything that it does is just hilarious. Ironically, when Mason asked me... Is that funny, Lucy? Yes. Ironically? Are you enlightened? Are are you enlightened, Lucy? Ironically? Oh man. Oh man. Is this just silliness that I'm talking about, Lucy? Yes. I know it is. What am I doing? Okay, Lucy's with Mama now. But I wanted to leave that little flub of a recording attempt in there because unlike Lucy, who just laughed as I was trying to talk about enlightenment, when Mason asked me if I was enlightened, something in me thought that was a serious question. There was some part of my organism that latched on and the ego found a way of telling its own story again by trying to figure this whole enlightenment thing out. Am I enlightened? Is he enlightened? Is he farther down the path than I am? What does any of this even mean? Suddenly, this turns into that. My ego showed up to once again try to be a real boy. Presence devolved into thought. All devolved into self. The clarity of presence became clouded with ego. And how often does this happen in spirituality and religion, where our spiritual practices and communities and beliefs become just another mechanism by which the ego can feel better than other people. I'm starting this podcast because it seems to me that, particularly in the West, so many of us have lost sight of the possibility in our imagination of a life free from suffering. A life that is wildly and truly free. In fact, it Sounds ludicrous to many of us. A life lived in the flow of a non-dual all, where everything is perfect and there is not a single problem to be found, sounds problematic, heretical, and naive in our woke Western ears. But for those who have tasted and seen glimpses of what I'm talking about, the oneness of all, the illusion of self, You know it to be the truth. You know deep down who you really are under all those stories of yours, but you dare not speak it. You, beloved, are God herself, the infinite, non-dual, manifesting music of the all. You are, as they say, the breath within the breath. You are the music in the music, the light of light. You, darling are always and fully this. But so many of us are trapped in our stories, are imprisoned in our constructs, clinging more and more fiercely to the bars of our cells as a way of trying to escape. 
and you don't have to keep doing it. Enlightenment is not something that you, the small and separate illusory ego, can attain. But it's a decent word used to describe what it's like to be free. To have that experience that you, awareness itself, can experience when you are not believing in, striving for, or trying to achieve anything, trying to change anything, but simply being unencumbered, unclinging, experiencing this. Not this the concept, not this the story, not this as a separate something from yourself, but this your very truest self. Enlightenment is freedom here and now. It's not somewhere else to be experienced sometime else. It's closer than close. It's just this. You are it. You are already enlightenment itself, awareness itself. You don't need to understand it or believe it. You can just be it in this very breath. The feeling of your feet on the ground. The beating of your heart and your chest. The breath on your lips. There is no need to strive or to cling or to try. It's always and only this. There's an old Zen saying that says, at first the mountains were mountains and the waters were waters. And then the mountains were not mountains and the waters were not waters. And finally, the mountains were once again mountains and the waters or once again waters. When Lucy looks at a mountain, she doesn't classify it in her head as part of the Rocky Mountain Range versus the Sierra Nevadas versus the Alps. There's no other stories happening. There's not a symbolic meaning of mountains and me feeling so small in in comparison. There's not a a story about the creator crafting mountains so that he could impress his creation and inspire worship. So many of us look at a mountain and because of the stories that we've grown up in and that we see by, the mountains are no longer mountains and the waters are no longer waters. In other words, there's something more. There's what's the meaning of this? What's the construct of this? What is the biological categorization of this? However we interpret this, the moment of here and now, as we encounter it directly, and instead becomes an abstraction within the mind. It's an important development for a number of reasons, mostly practical reasons of being able to craft the earth to our desires. But there is something that happens at enlightenment, at awakeness, at realization, that once again, the mountains become mountains and the waters become waters. Not the constructs, not the stories, not the abstractions, not the thoughts 
but the thing itself, the one thing itself. In this podcast, we will be looking at the stories by which we craft our worlds, the stories that turn mountains into not mountains. And we will be tearing them apart and deconstructing them and seeing through their illusion until we're back to just this. I look forward to the journey with you. The journeyless journey. Because where else could we go? Where else could we be but here? So breathe freely, beloved. This is all there is. (laughs) 